Welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Well, it's been an exciting year, you guys. This will mark episode 39 in the lineup. We've definitely come a long way throughout this year. Episode 1 aired with Don Mike the week of the shutdown in Los Angeles back in March 2020. And so much has happened since then. We've lost friends and loved ones to this pandemic who will never be forgotten. We've seen cultural uprisings throughout the world, and entire movements of people who've had the courage to stand up for what's right. We've faced a crucial and monumental presidential election that is still underway, and many of us have faced completely unprecedented hardships throughout the year. Yet here we are, still standing. I can't even begin to tell you how encouraging it is to see how many people in the Leather and King community have come together during this time. I am overwhelmingly grateful to all of the listeners who have supported the podcast over these many months of quarantine. It was really something to look forward to every week, just to get together in our leather and gear, as if we were going out to the bar to meet and hang out. And each week, listening to the personal stories of people within the leather and kink communities. I want to thank all of our guests who were part of the show. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and for pouring your hearts out to this platform. Each of you have been such a positive life force for so many listeners in ways that we won't even be able to measure. I want to give a huge shout out to the Los Angeles organizations that have really put forward their time and commitment this year to serving the community. The LELC Cares, Bullet Bar Pantry, LA Leather COVID-19 Assist, the ACE Fund, Reach LA, and I'm sure many, many more organizations that I'm not even aware of. Thank you all so much for your hard work and dedication to our communities. As this year comes to a close, I wanted our grand finale to highlight some of this year's most memorable moments on Leather Talk. Some of our kinkiest, sexiest, funniest, and more serious moments. Leather Talk will be taking a break from publishing to iTunes and Spotify for the month of December. However, there will be weekly bonus episodes being released to Patreon throughout that time. Subscribers who pledge $3 or more will have exclusive access to this material and much more. So if you want to stay up to date with all of the Leather Talk episodes, you can find that page by going to patreon.com and searching for Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. With that said, I hope you all enjoy some of the best highlights from 2020. Well, we're going to get started off with some of our sexiest moments on the show. And for that, I want to take us all the way back to episode two with Chad Onyx. This was back when I was still having people over my home for interviews, and it was really exciting just to start this year off with a bang. When I asked Chad what one of his fantasies were, he actually recounted a time when he had met up with somebody and worked out a role play scene. Now, it didn't quite end up the way he thought it would but it was still one of the hottest stories to date that we've had on the show. Let's take a listen. So is there any fantasies that either you have lived out or maybe you haven't yet that, that you'd like to share? 
Um, well, I will tell you this. There's a fantasy that happened. Well, role play that happened to me that I wasn't anticipating and it sort of just happened. Okay. And I'll try to make it quick. Um, I was chatting with this guy on one of the apps and he invited me to a role play session. And of course I obliged because I'm very much so into it. And he said, I just want you to be a pizza delivery guy. And once you give me the pizza box, um, I'm going to close the door and I am going to want you to force your way in and take advantage of me. And I said, okay, I can do that. You know, I can find a pizza box. Hell, I even go and buy a pizza box to make this role (laughs) place, you know, session happen. So I did. And I get over to his place and I knock on the door and I'm like, pizza delivery. And I walk inside and I'm like, you know, he hands me the cash or whatever. And I go out and and I force back open the door and I'm like, you know what? Fuck the pizza. I want to fuck you. And he's like. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So we, we start having sex and he leans back. And when he comes back down, his eyes are like rolling in his head. And he's like, who are you? What? And I'm like, I'm Chad, remember? And he's like, no, who sent you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, why do you keep looking over there in that corner? And I'm like what's going on here and he's like who sent you was it that guy that fucked me the other night and i'm like no i don't know who you're talking about you see that glass that you just drinking out of chad and i'm like yeah and he's like it has your fingerprints on it have you ever been to jail chad and i'm like no he's like well my father is a cop and i'll have your black ass behind bars and oh I'm thinking God. to myself, now all the while I'm still fucking him, right? Because he's right, he's, <laughs> he's riding me. Wait, so mid mid this, you're just fucking. the scene changed. Oh my! With God. no warning at all, and I'm thinking to myself, and he's like, you know, he's calling me all these, you know, terms for you know that people use when they're degrading, you know, people, and I'm just sitting there and I'm going, shit, what? Uh, Hold on a minute, you know, like, yeah, I'm I'm losing myself for a minute, but then I'm kind of holding back and then, you know, we're doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I come and then he comes and then immediately he says, hi, how is that for you? Was that fun? And I'm like, dude, you almost took me to a place that was going to kill this role play for you and me. This should have been discussed way ahead of time. What we discussed was pizza delivery. Yeah. But what he ended up doing was something totally different. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's that what, scared me. <laughs> it, it scared me too. And I mean, I'm like, first of all, what is he seeing? Like, who's over there? So I'm looking around and I'm wondering what he's referring to. And I'm like, well, well, what's going on in this guy's head? Turns out he was on, you know, something that I didn't know about. Yeah, and, you know, so I guess it hit him once I had gotten there. It had gotten into his system in a way. And his mind went somewhere totally different. Yeah. But it's interesting that he was able to click out of it and come back to himself and be like, hi, well, thanks for coming. And I left going. What the I want to fuck him again. <laughs> You know, for real, you know, because like, I don't know what he's going to pull out of his ass, you know, the next time I'm over there, you know, so yeah. That is so hot. I think that's one of the hottest fantasies I've heard. (laughs) My God. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I still can't believe how hot that story is. If any of you have done any role play, make sure though you actually discuss it with the person every detail because you do not want to get caught off guard like that. <laughs> Luckily, it turned out to be a really, really hot story. But for our next sexiest moments on the show, I wanted to bring back Bam Bam. Now in this episode, Bam Bam talks a lot about pain and a little bit about bondage as well. Now, for those of you active listeners, you might remember a story where Bam Bam talks about being in bondage and not being able to touch his penis, but somehow manages to come because of the tension, just everything around his body. It was so stimulating. It was one of the hottest, sexiest moments I can remember on the show. So let's jump back and take a listen. So, so when you're getting like whipped and, and let's say you're, you're bleeding and, you know, some flesh is getting ripped off of you. At any point, do you, are you actually physically coming? Or are you getting off on like the endorphins and the experience of getting whipped? It's totally the endorphins and, and the experience of it. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think I've ever come from being whipped. I have come from being tied in a rope though, which that one was a weird and really interesting experience. Um, How did that happen? I was um, I was doing a scene and a scene slash like photo shoot. Okay. And I this was I've played with them before, and this one was was a more painful pose just because of of the way that I was bent and and tied, and so my my legs were were in a very interesting and painful position. To, to hold for an extended amount of time. But as, as time progressed, that pain started feeling oddly sensational and it really heightened my, you know, I was blindfolded and I was bound and it heightened my sense, like the sensation of like touch all over my body. And so it was, it was to the point where I knew that I was in pain, but it also felt so good. And I had never felt that type of like sensation before. Um, not in not in that way to where I was getting turned on. Because um, usually I get off on 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 the heightened like energy and the endorphins and and this mm-hmm. one, you know, with with bondage, it's a little bit different. You're just kind of bound and. Um, you don't get that like rush off of it because it's such a, it's, it's, it's such a very like, I mean, well, it can be a lot more intense, but that one in particular that I was in, it was very relaxed set, uh, setting. Okay. But something about the mixture of like that intensely awkward position with mixed with the pain and then the rope constantly, the friction of the rope constantly like tugging all around my body that it got to the point where he was so i have a a geesh a geesh piercing and so it got to the point where he was tying me around there and it tugged on it and it totally oh no it's 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 a good thing and so (laughs) that sensation like just i i can i can feel like my penis starting to like like get hard and like start getting stimulated and it wasn't even like grazed. It was like my legs were being, you know, um, the ropes around my legs were tugging and all of these movements and sensations was like 
just working my entire body. And like, before I knew it, like I, I had just like come and I was like, Whoa, oh my God. like what just, like what just happened? And, um, and it was such a crazy relief um, wow. and such a crazy release too. And, um, and the guy was just like, Whoa, that's never happened before. I'm like, I know that's never, that's never happened before. <laughs> and, I, and I felt like that guy that like comes prematurely and he's like, I, I swear this never happens. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like that was totally me. That was like my, that was like my spiel to him. I was like, you know, this has never happened before. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened. He's like, no, no, it's good. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm glad that happened. That's really interesting. And I'm just like, I mean, yeah, it's just, I, I think for myself, I had never experienced that before. So I was just like, whoa, I don't know what my body just like went through. Wow. <laughs> what a hot story. I can only imagine what that whole experience was like. I actually have yet to be tied up like that, but Bam Bam is definitely piquing my interest here. And I wonder if some of you listeners out there feel the same. Well, now I'd like to move on to some of our most kinkiest moments on the show, starting off with Rod Wood who was Mr. Northern California drummer 2000. Rod Wood talks about a scene with a guy that actually could come from just getting choked. And I thought, what a kinky motherfucker. (laughs) He does also talk a little bit about the prey mantis coming up behind another prey mantis and biting off his head. And that's like the only way they could come. Anyways, that's not the kinky part of the story. But let's take a listen back to Rod Wood's account of what I guess you could call breath play. Um, I had a I had a boyfriend when I lived in L.A. He lived in Long Beach. He was into breath control, mm-hmm. and I could choke him, and he would come just as he was passing out. Nice. Which was one of the most amazing things to watch. He wouldn't even be touching his dick. Wait, like were you even touching his dick, or he was literally just no, coming neither. From no, he he would just come from being suffocated basically my god i don't think i've ever heard of that before it was it was amazing to see which interestingly enough happens with uh, praying mantis oh you probably didn't know that no um the female praying mantis well the male has to sneak up on the female uh, because she will treat him as any other insect and grab him and eat him oh my god so he has to sneak up behind her and jump on her and start trying to copulate Well, I found out in biology class back in high school that um, unlike most animals where the brain starts the orgasm, in the praying mantis, the brain keeps the orgasm from happening. So he hops on top of her, she turns around, bites his head off, and he comes. Oh, my God. (laughs) How brutal. (laughs) Sounds non-consensual, prey mantis. Uh, Yeah, it kind of is. So that's it. You know, she 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 gets impregnated by him and then she eats him. Wow. How grotesque. Okay, well, okay, short of getting your head bitten off, Rod. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I would not suggest doing that at home, <laughs> at least not with anybody that doesn't have experience. Make sure you're careful, but definitely an interesting kink, <laughs> to say the least. Well, I want to take us all the way back to Eric Crow's episode 13, where Eric recounts his first time at a hook pool. Let's take a listen. 
so this was a memorable experience for me, and I took the time to write it down. At the time that I wrote it down, it was for a creative writing class, and I just kept adding to it and changing it uh, according to the skills that I gained in the class. So I'm going to read a few uh, pages from that. Um, and it starts out as follows. Warmth from Ben's eyes pierces my heart like the hooks about to pierce my chest. This needs to start soon or I'll lose my guts, I ruminate to myself, as Ben and I take up two spots on a bench. Yet, even though everyone at the porch of the Spirit Lodge are sitting and waiting, we start the ritual when the time feels right. In a few minutes, the group moves inside and each one takes a spot around a table with piercing equipment spread out evenly. I find myself looking for a reason to leave. A daddy's single tail is at work on someone's back. Its crack and reverb into silence had fascinated me all throughout the weekend and driven me to ecstasy just two days ago. But now in my mind, it's an annoying distraction that shouldn't be happening and why can't we just do this somewhere more quiet? It's called a hook pull, Jacob explains, and it's a modern day example of the ancient ritual practice of achieving spiritual ecstasy through physical pain. Even though I was told that morning that I didn't have to hook up to anyone in the group if I didn't want to, I would see some aesthetic or attribute of someone in the group that my mind decided it didn't like. I came that close to blurting out the words, you know, I'm just not cool with this, so I'm just going to go do something else. You have a choice of needles or hooks in your chest, or you can get a spear put through your cheeks or a smaller needle through the third eye chakra. You can also have more than one type used at the same time if you like, Jacob explains. As we get up to take our place in line, my posture relaxes a bit. I want to do this, but I'm not sure how to feel about it. Last time I tried it, I felt like it drained energy away from me. Without looking, we jump in line ahead of Hank, an older participant. Ben thanks him, saying, it'll be worth your while. Jacob continues informing the group. The longer and harder the pull is on the hooks in you, the more intense the flood of endorphins will be. You might even have a full body orgasm. He cleans and prepares my skin with alcohol and disinfectant wipes. It is time to cross the threshold. The first piercing needle is ready for entry. Inhale deep, he instructs, and when you exhale, that's when the, that's when the needles go in. Upon entry, I feel my eyes go wide. My heart jumps. These are much bigger than what I had first used on me for normal play piercing. The opening is brought back out as if to thread my chest, stopping before re-entry and capped off with cork and elastic draped around the needle. The process is repeated on my right pec. When not being touched, these foreign objects make no pain, but there is no forgetting they are there. When first pulled, muscle tissue stretches while the body adapts to the sensation. An unjustified phantom dread in the back of my mind says, if I pull too hard or without care, they could come back out causing a big rip. But the voices so busy inside my head are now being silenced by a new voice. A voice that seizes up the situation in the time it takes for a pencil to drop and tells me, now is not the time to be tough and run away. It's time to be vulnerable. It's okay. You're safe here. Trust them. Once the second hook is capped, 
Jacob ties a rope string to the elastic around each hook and puts a smaller purple carabiner in Aaron in my hand, informing, this is what you and Ben will use to connect together when you want your hands to be free to pull against each other's rope. I'm not at all sure of what is about to happen, but I know Ben has been by my side all weekend. Why would he jump ship now? Also, though Ben is no longer behind me, I still feel the energy of his hands on my back. A little charm to guide me through, perhaps. We walk outside behind the lodge to the yard, over to the shade trees closest to the southern inroad of the camp. We spend a long half hour bound to any of its three trunk-sized branches. We only unhook from each other to stand behind the other and caress the other's skin or kiss and nuzzle the nape of his neck. Butterflies have been fluttering all around camp the whole weekend, and they will join in here as well. A brown monarch lands on a flat piece of ground and brazenly crosses our path. Ben pulls me away from the tree toward the center of the yard. We take each other's string or hook and alternate between hard and soft tugs. As our eyes meet and lock, I see once again and at last those vivid blue pools I saw all those years ago in the desert pleading back gratitude to me. At this point, everything in my periphery begins to fade. My eyes close and my breath slows as I chant a simple long OM three times. Ben joins in the last time and adds his harmony to the chant. His inner energy and chakra fields leads him through flowing waves of emerald green. My inner energy and chakra fields lead me through flowing waves of emerald green, which I'd visualized in scenes earlier the weekend. I honor the moment with a final breath of silence, a bow of my head, and I walk away for a drink of water inside. While I'm inside, I set out to think of a way to show my appreciation. Once back outside, I take Ben's hand and lead him back to the same grassy spot where we chanted. I put my string in Ben's hand and tell him, pull as tight as you can. While he does this, I get on my knees, place my hands behind my back, and lean back as far as I can, holding his gaze all the while. I utter three words I hadn't said in seven years. Thank you, sir, before lowering my head. I have presented myself in full submission to Ben, who after a minute tugs me at my arm for me to stand up. He lets go of the string and it produces a wild trembling energy that rushes from head to foot and back up to my root chakra. Reduced to my most elemental form, all I can do is stand there and shake. Now Jacob comes outside and interacts with us. We are all his subs at this point. I watch Jacob finish pulling with everyone else and then me. His dark brown eyes dart furiously back and forth while he pulls as hard as he can, even plucking the strings. I am now completely under his influence. I see nothing else, only his eyes. The pain from the needles has now vanished and along with it, 18 weeks worth of anxious fear and emotional pain. I see no black and white in my peripheral vision, only color. There is nothing to fear. A few minutes later, Jacob remarks, that's the first time I've ever seen anyone's pupils become the size of pinpoints. The kind of pupils you get but don't need to drop acid for, psychedelic. We laugh and hold hands for a moment, 
and the hoof pull has concluded. We go in for aftercare and clean up. Once my hooks are removed, I embark on the part of the journey I have to walk alone. I go outside to the Spirit Lodge patio and sit on a bench. Barry, a member of my newly adopted family, looks in my eyes and, as an attempt to reassure me of my headspace, says, you're here, on the patio outside the Spirit Lodge. I'm grateful he's looking after me, but I can only manage a soft, muttered, uh-huh, thank you, for a reply. Time begins to slow down. A bliss body begins flooding through me. It makes me feel drowsy, but without the need for sleep. The Saturday afternoon sky hooks my mind now and gives me another chance at gratitude. Whether my eyes are open or closed, I am at rest. As long as I stay there, still and quiet, is as long as I can hold the moment. No substance, natural or otherwise, has ever taken me so high. And no deity has ever answered my prayer as honestly. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Wow, that's a really deep recollection of your experience. And it's, it, it seems to me that that experience stuck with you so long because of the spiritual aspect of it. And I can't help but recognize that the peace that surpasses all understanding, that is a phrase that's used a lot in Christianity. Mm-hmm. It is, yes. Does that have any ties with this story? It does because I'd, I'd heard that phrase used, I don't know how many times throughout my life as a young Christian, mm-hmm. but this was me actually feeling what I was told. So it was, it was, it was becoming true. Wow, how intense. I can only imagine all of the endorphins and the whole experience just being completely overwhelming and in so many positive ways. Now, for those of you who are active listeners of the podcast, you'll know that I have a Patreon page where I post early access and bonus material. This December, Leather Talk is taking a break from publishing new content to iTunes and Spotify, but I will be releasing bonus episodes each week on Patreon throughout the month of December. One of those episodes will actually be a focus more on needles, hooks, and suspension with Eric Crow. So if you don't want to miss that, make sure to go to patreon.com and find Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. Subscribing for $3 or more will get you access to all of the bonus episodes coming up this month. Now for our next kinkiest moment, I want to take us all the way back to episode 15 with Master Richard. Now for those of you who remember Master Richard, he was the one who talked extensively about sub-dom play. Now you'll notice that he uses the terms master and slave in this clip, and in his full episode we talk about the use of these words and their function in some BDSM kink relationships. For those who haven't heard, I will throw in a little disclaimer. For those who are unfamiliar with the leather scene, the language used to describe some dominant submissive relationships historically in BDSM culture have been widely referred to with the labels of master and slave. There is an ongoing discussion within the leather community regarding the use of these terms for consensual authority exchange or power exchange relationships. This is by no means a reference to human trafficking or political or historical systems of oppression. These terms are just one way of expressing the sexual roles within certain kink relationships. With that said, I wanted to jump into a moment where I asked Master Richard to share with us what a sub-dom scene with him might look like. 
And I challenged him to take it even one step further and to talk directly to us, the audience, as if we were his sub. So as you're listening, feel free to sit back, relax, and visualize yourself going with Master Richard into the dungeon. I'm wondering if you could just sort of give us a taste of what your what some of your scenes might look like. Uh, take us with you into the dungeon. All right. So I will probably pull from some of my uh, favorite activities or little rituals I like. Okay, you know what will make this even better? Why don't you pretend like the audience is your slave? And if you have to visualize one person you can talk to, talk to us like you. (laughs) Okay, this will be interesting. All right. Okay. Slave, stand right there. Here, here's this box. Take off all your clothes and put them in that box. Good. I'm going to take this box. I'm going to put it aside because you're not going to need this, any of this stuff. Slaves should be naked. Neil. Now kiss my boots. More. Lick them. That's enough. Kneel up. Stand up. I'm going to put these cuffs on you. I'm going to attach you to the cross. You're going to give yourself to me. All right. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. I've got a number of floggers here. I'm going to use them on you until I'm satisfied. If at any moment things get too much, I want you to open up your hands really wide, really wide so I can see. Do that. Good. All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to warm you up. And when I'm done, I'm going to switch over to the single tail. Good. So I start off slow with the lightest flogger, warming up the back, watching the back stretch, waiting for that moment when the slave pushes back, wanting more, not trying to get away from the flogger, but trying to reach for it, stretching. Then I go faster and I go harder and I switch to an even heavier flogger. Then I switch to an even heavier flogger. I have so many floggers. So just when the back is incredibly red and I can feel the heat when I put my hand on it. And I love watching the back arch and the person squirm whenever I touch them lightly because their back is so on fire, so sensitive, so alive. Then I pull out this single tail and I get centered 
and I take aim right on the left shoulder, shoulder play just near the center, just off the bone, in that deep meaty spot, and I strike, and I watch the slave arch and cry out and take it all in, and I wait patiently until their body has absorbed it all, has felt that huge wave of power pass through them. Then I switch to the other side and I do a strike. And then I'm starting to get warmed up and I'm going lighter. I go very light, almost like a butterfly, just landing briefly. And then I do a really heavy strike, a hard strike every third, fourth time. So there now starts to be a rhythm. And sometimes I start to see the welts coming up pretty quickly. Maybe the skin starts to break. And then I think, right, is that too much? Have we agreed? Are we going to go forward? Maybe we're going to go for a really long intensity. And I start going deeper and trying to make particular patterns on the back. And more than anything, watching to see how the sub takes it when they start getting quiet. They're not necessarily pulling back or flinching or trying to get away. They're just absorbing it and they become quieter and they become clearly more floaty. And then I do one last strike. It's going to be hard. It's going to be intense. It's going to feel like fire all up and down their body. And I center myself and I get ready to do this one last strike. I imagine it going completely and totally through their body. And I strike. And then I sit back and watch and just soak it all up. The, the moans, maybe the tears, definitely the sighs. And then after a minute, I get close to them up on the cross and I fold myself around their body and I do a full body hug and squeeze them, holding them, pressing my chest into their back, making sure that if there is any blood, it's going to get on my t-shirt so that I have a souvenir. I have a, 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 a memory uh, will contain it. And that shirt will become the little memory of this intense scene. And then I turn them around, tell them to kneel, kiss my boots in gratitude, and to kiss my cock, and to stand. And then I come in and hold them. And we just hold each other until they're ready.
Oh my God, Richard. If uh, the audience isn't hard, I don't know what else will get them hard. <laughs> that was an interesting exercise. <laughs> but wow, what what a detailed... Um, thank you for taking us with you on that journey. Um, I think it really gave us a, a visual and kind of just a taste of what the experience could be like. Ugh. I would be lying, you guys, if I told you that I was not touching myself during the interview at that time. <laughs> God, it is such a hot story. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Next kinkiest moment. <laughs> now, I want to bring us back to episode 30 and 31 with Mistress Melissa. Now, if you didn't listen to Mistress Melissa's episodes just yet, go back and have a listen. They are intense, you guys. <laughs> Mistress Melissa, I think I even told her on, on the episode, you're one of the most kinkiest people we've had on the show to date. But I wanted to bring us all the way back to a story where Mistress Melissa talks about an interrogation scene where she takes one of her submissives and drenches him in water, interrogates him out in public, and everyone's just kind of looking like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> and this guy is just eating it up. It is hot. It is sexy. It is intense. And you really get a taste of what Mistress Melissa is all about in this scene. So let's take a listen. <laughs> like, you think? <laughs> what part of I'm going to be kicking you across the ass with martial arts kicks? It's so funny. I have to tell you, like, after 20 plus episodes now, I think... Out of everyone I've talked to, you're probably the most extreme that I've talked to when it comes to BDSM. Oh, thank you. All right, cool. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, I will give you a certificate in the mail for that. Winning! I have arrived. No. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this. All right, cool. Yeah, that's what I try to preface with people like I'm a heavy masochist. I'm like. Are you okay. Yeah. <laughs> are you? Are you really? Like, can I burn your armpit hair off and feed it to you? And they're like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking. Yeah. <laughs> I was just asking. You're giving me ideas. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah. Okay. What do you want? Your genitals or your nipples intact? Tell me which one. I'm going to count down from five. <laughs> Good times. Good times. I did a um, hilariously fun workshop with interrogation. Mm-hmm. And I did different bottoms because, you know, the first one was like a lighter interrogation, funny and stuff like that. Great. The next one was with a play partner I used to have. So we've already gone through all the negotiations and stuff. And I was like, cool. What he really liked was being disoriented, uh, not knowing where he was. And he's a masochist. I'm like, great. Awesome. And he loves bondage. Perfect. So as I go on to do the segue into the next demo, he's sitting in the front row. Mind you, he's about six foot four. And I had a hood in my back pocket. And so I jumped off the stage, hooded him, and did a crossbody throw and threw him up onto the stage. Oh, my God. And then, because um, I used to do competitive wrestling and grappling and stuff like that. And so <laughs> I get him down and I bind him to the chair. And, of course, you know, like, I'm doing the whole entire interrogation and he's being a shit. <laughs> he's not giving me anything. <laughs> He's trying to give me coordinates. I'm like, that's a pizza joint. He's like, what? I like pizza. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's just being, a, you know, the more mouthier you get, the more I'm going to, you know, step it up. Now, what I didn't tell him, 
And he was good. I got to give it to him. So I grab him and I drag him outside. And a lot of the, the it was funny because a lot of the, the Red Dragons, the motorcycle club were there. So all their bikes were parked. Or no, Monarchs, excuse me. Their bikes were parked. There was a married of them. I used to work with all of all of the different groups there. And they came to the class and I was like, great, awesome. And I drug him outside. He's hooded. He's bound. He can still walk. I drag him out to the yard where there's a suspension point. I yank him up and then I start hosing him down. So the hood's wet. He's wet. It's cold outside. And I'm I'm just doing a whole like beat down scene, brute play with him. And then I get him down to the grass and uh, <laughs> he never breaks. He never breaks. I had to give it to him. He, it was absolutely fantastic. And I said, and people just like ran outside to kind of follow the demo. And it was funny. So I was like, okay, our demo's done. We're done. And I take the hood off him. He's laying in the yard in his clothes, muddy and wet. And he's torn up. And he's like, that was amazing. <laughs> A real masochist. Like, Got to give it to him. I was like, awesome. He goes, oh my God, that interrogation scene was so realistic. And I was like, "Cool, awesome," <laughs> and it was a, 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 absolutely fantastic. I, when I, we came back in, I you know patched him back together, gave people a 15-minute break. We did some aftercare, and he was sitting there with his you know his juice box, just with the biggest fucking grin on his face, and he was just like, "Yeah, I was. I'm in ecstasy right now." <laughs> I'm like, "Awesome, cool. Well, I'm gonna sit you right here on the stage next to me, so you can float away on the blanket while I wrap up the class." And he was like, "Okay, <laughs> yes, mistress." And I was All like, "That was." In said i can show you the world <laughs> it's all happening oh absolutely <laughs> he was just like yeah i don't know what he was singing but he was like he was having a great time and i was like cool that's the space i want to create a lot of people i'm like you tell me your fantasy and we'll tell you how we can execute it wow well i was not lying you guys when i said that that was an intense scene still one of the most kinkiest moments on the show well, I'd like to move forward to some of our more serious moments, and I'm going to take us back to Butch Romero's first episode, where we open up with one of his articles that he wrote for Recon, actually. Now, if you don't know what Recon is, it's sort of like the grinder for the fetish world. Uh, but this was an article that was published by Recon, and Butch Romero sort of takes us to the back room with him to one of the leather bars, and I would like us just to sit back and put ourselves in Butch's shoes for just a moment, and... You'll soon see how powerful this message really is. I was on Scruff and Grinder before starting testosterone. I'm fortunate that a natural masculine appearance and small chest allows me to move through men's spaces easily, whether it's through an online profile or a darkroom corner. I feel powerful taking my shirt off. Under the glow of neon lights, my chest protrudes just enough to draw him in and make him curious. He notices that I have supple nipples that are asking to be pinched and sucked. When you're pressed up against each other in a crowded space in the dark, hands wander. He feels up my torso and cups one of my tits, pinching hard. I know he knows. Men have a certain look in their eye when they know. Heavy bass music makes it feel more intense when my heart starts to race, and I wonder how far he wants to go before he's disappointed. He still plays with my nipple, examining my body, my face, speculating if he wants to go any farther or if he's already bored. I place a hand on the small of his back, and as he places both hands on my chest, I bring him in a little closer, my other hand rubbing his furry belly and teasing his belt line. He's actually wearing a belt. I look him in the eye and tug on his buckle. He meets my eye. I extend my hand from my fingertips to lightly press on his bulge. 
He's hard. I feel his dick twitch as he takes one hand off my chest and presses it between my legs. This is what I call the moment of truth. I'm not packing. There's nothing separating him from my cunt but a zipper and a jockstrap. He realizes this now. He disapproves. He drops his hands, but not before he gets one last tick grab. He turns away from me and begins feeling up the man standing behind him. I still feel powerful. I still feel powerful because I know I'm not the only one that experiences this. The other guy didn't get to undo that buckle either. Who knows who did? Some of us are too skinny, too fat, too trans, too old, too black, not wearing the right harness and jockstrap combo. Any number of factors can cause these fleeting moments to end. I stand tall with my shoulders back, tits up, feeling another man's sweat against my back, a pair of arms drape around my neck. It's a friend of mine. He has a bottle of poppers and lets me take a sniff. We sway to the music together. You look so hot tonight. Having fun? He yells into my ear. I do look hot tonight. I give my friend a smile and a nod. He returns the smile and lets his arms lazily fall off my shoulders, just in time for another man to squeeze in next to me and touch my chest. Wow. That is a very deep and profound recollection. Now, this kind of monologue, I guess you could say, um, was actually an article that you wrote and was eventually published by the gay fetish social app known as Recon. Now, as you're talking us through this, are you going through in your mind moments like this that have actually happened? I would say it's a definitely it's definitely happened and it's actually happened probably several times that I can think of just just off the top of my head. Honestly, probably probably every night that I go to a bar that's meant to be like a leather bar or a cruising space, I'd be surprised if it probably happens at least once a night. Mm-hmm. Basically just a very similar kind of thing where somebody comes up to me and maybe they might not be totally sure or maybe they are and now they're just gonna kind of try to feel me up to see if maybe they're into it and you know sometimes now guys are a little more into it but it's always kind of interesting when you know they're essentially kind of just experimenting you with you for a few minutes or maybe just a few seconds really most of the time it's like a few fleeting seconds and then it's over. Wow, what a powerful, powerful message. Well, we're going to stay within the vicinity of Chicago, and we're actually going to call upon another Chicago native, Daddy G. Now, Daddy G is sort of a slut for community service, or (laughs) I don't know if that's the right way to say it, Uh, but essentially, he's a community service junkie. He thrives on it. He lives for community service. And I wanted us just to take a moment to listen to what Daddy G has to say about his passion for community service, because I think it's really important for us to know that, yes, leather and kink is about sex, but the leather community goes far beyond that, and we can do so much more with our platform as leather people. There are so many amazing things that people have done in the leather community, and I just wanted to highlight this moment to remind us all that when we accept ourselves for who we are, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sexy, the fetishy, the kinky, that we can really do anything. And it seems like it's really part of you, even with the title or without the title. And it makes me wonder, 
you have a whole resume of organizations and volunteer. It's it's like a whole page long. I couldn't even get through all of it. But <laughs> that's the condensed version. <laughs> Not to pat myself on the back. That's like my that's my version. Like whenever I judge contests and stuff like that, they're like, "Yeah, no, your original bio is way too long. You need to yeah, 150 yeah. words or less, and your <laughs> right, just your exactly. volunteer list is more." Um, so that what was it about the the title why why did you want to run for a title if you knew that you were already doing these things what what was it to you that meant so much to winning the title um more so to say that you know an average person like me can do it you know um that i can get up there and i have body issues uh i i, I don't feel like i look good or not as good as i should look um you know and and also I have, you know, issues with, I have like a massive overbite and I've had it since I was a kid. So it's made my jaw kind of long. And so I posted about this on Facebook the other day uh, about that being a returning point in my IML experience. But, um, you know, things things about my body and that I was never comfortable with and that I would never take my shirt off in public. You know, I would never smile, you know, things like that. So kind of helped, you know, break me out of that mold and uh and also you know bring to you know the people who work in behind the scenes and you know hey here's someone who has been active behind the scenes for all these years and now he's on stage competing for this title and he wins so i guess it was kind of more or less hey even an average guy without a six-pack and and muscles can also do this yeah right and and and, i mean you more than make up for it in your activism within the community and th- and that's very important to me and 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 definitely since winning the title i mean even to till today i mean if i post something on social media i do i've been doing a school supply drive for some of the other underserviced schools here in chicago and uh, i've been doing that for the last 20 years and it wasn't until i won mr chicago leather and i started you know bringing that out to social media and whenever i do that i get hundreds and hundreds of dollars donated to me. Even, you know, I just did a, a mask. Um, I put, I had some members of the community donate some masks. I bought masks and I hand deliver them to some of the homeless people that live around my neighborhood, along with hand sanitizer and stuff like that. And even then I posted on Facebook and like within 24 hours, I had $300. So, and, wow. and these are people just sending me money, not donating to something. You know, not donating to a charity, but giving me the money and entrusting that I'm going to do what's right, you know? Right. So let me ask you this. What is it about volunteering that gets you off? Because you you uh, seem to love it and not everybody is that for that, sure. you know? Well, so I, I guess it has a lot to do with how I grew up. Um, I grew up very poor. My mom had me at a very young age and I, I don't know who my dad is. So... Uh, she had me at a very young age and there was some talk of maybe abortion on the table at that point because she didn't, she wanted to continue to live her life and not have to worry about a child. And coming from a strict Catholic background, my grandmother was Sicilian. My grandfather was Bohemian. So it was, that wasn't even on the table. So my grandparents were like, you just have, have the baby, give him to us. We'll raise him and you go and live your life and do whatever you want to do. Uh, and that's what happened. Uh, and so my grandparents raised me 
until I was about 12 years old. My grandparents were very poor. Uh, my grandfather, you know, my grandmother was the typical, you know, stay-at-home wife, you know, make, cleaning the house, making food, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, didn't work. Um, my grandfather, you know, had two or three jobs in a given time uh, to keep the household afloat and, and to put me through Catholic school because my grandmother had this grand scheme of me being a priest. Thank God that didn't happen. Um, and, but so we lived in the housing projects here in Chicago and, uh, which is, it's still standing, uh, Lathrop Holmes housing projects here. And so I grew up there and we didn't have much, you know, we had hand-me-down furniture, you know, we didn't have much food. Um, so we spent a lot of time, or I spent a lot of time in lines with my grandmother at food pantries, soup kitchens, you know, things of that nature, bringing food back home. And I remember the volunteers there at the time, you know, some of them, yeah, maybe not so friendly. And then some, you know, friendly with, you know, th- that smile or the pat on the back or, you know, something like that, you know, that just kind of stuck with me. And um, so I often tell people, you know, what I don't have in money, I have in time. Uh, I can easily just work my eight hour a day and come home and sit in front of the TV, but that's not who I am. You know, I'd rather go out and, and even if it's three or four hours or two hours, give, give that time back. So, yeah, it sounds, so it sounds a lot like, you know, you're giving back to kind of what you benefited from as a, as a child. Right. I mean, it must mean a whole lot more to you than just kind of coming into a space that you don't really know about and just giving, but you're, you're giving to like the city that you grew up in, the city that, you know, means so much to you, the city that you represent with your title even. Yeah. It, it, it just, it means a lot to me to, to be able to do that. And, and um, yeah. And it brings me joy. You know, I've met a lot of interesting people through doing that. Uh, it's also a great way to network. You know, I mean, at any point with all of my, my experience in, in volunteering at any point, if I ever decided that I wanted to leave my job of 19 years, you know, I could reach out to a dozen people and probably have a job quickly, you know, but, but that was all because of the connections that were made through volunteering. You know, you're not going to be able to have one-on-one time with an HR director, um, you know, in volunteering, I have that all the time. You know, when I'm uh, volunteering for different organizations, mm-hmm. I have HR directors, I have CEOs, I have, you know, a, an executive for Gilead in my car once I was volunteering for something, you know, so it's like, you know, all of these different possibilities, you know, and, uh, and I really think that means a lot too. So. Wow. I really love how powerful that message is. Big thanks to Daddy G for coming on the show and sharing his story. Daddy G, if you're listening, I miss you. <laughs> well, I wanted to sort of stay on the topic of community service and take us back only a couple episodes to Persephone's account of community service, because I think it speaks a lot to, again, what we can do as leather people and that leather goes beyond the aesthetic. It can be so much more. So let's take a listen to a little bit of what Persephone had to say about her experience with the leather community and her title as Miss Los Angeles Leather 2019. The first piece of leather that I actually owned would have to be the vest that I got and put a patch on the back for the Los Angeles Girls of Leather. That was also a turning point for me to join that organization and realize I'm a girl of leather. 
I can I I love this. I I like representing. If I've got on any kind of leather outfit and I stop to get gas, some people would be like, oh, I should take this off. Not me. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and look because I'm proud of this. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know what it's all about, come talk to me. You know, don't look at me like, Ugh. you know, because you misunderstand it. Definitely spoken like a true title holder. You're, you seem sort of like an evangelist for the lettering <laughs> world. <laughs> I love it when people that have no idea mm-hmm. what Miss LA Leather is, I love it when I can educate them on it and tell them what leather is about. Because I know a lot of people either associate leather with homosexual men or they uh, think about bikers. Mm-hmm. And so it can have a, a negative impact on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one that wants to go out and go, you guys are totally wrong. This is what it's all about. This You don't have to be a gay male. You don't. You know, you don't even actually have to dress in any leather to be leather. Right, right. You know, it it's it's totally a lifestyle and morals and values and integrity and all of that is what and heart and community service. That's what it's all about. So essentially what you're saying, it's the it's the virtues that come along with leather that make you leather. It's not the leather itself. Correct. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I guess, you know, my next question to, to you was going to be, what does leather mean to you? But it seems like you've answered that um, in a pretty profound way. So how would you describe leather to someone who's like just exploring it or, or comes up to you at the gas station and says, what's what's this all about? What do you say to those people? I would say, like I stated before, that mm-hmm. leather is the way that one presents themselves, the virtues that you portray, the true version of yourself, there to have openness and mm-hmm. honesty and a good set of morals, which a lot of people think, but you're beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> How can that be moral? Well, you know, as long as it's consensual, it's, you know, right. I don't see a problem. But I I just tell them that it's the way that I live my life, that I'm open and honest and I try to help people with community service. And, you know, one of the greatest things that I've done when it comes to representing leather is when the Los Angeles Girls of Leather, we got a whole bunch of donations of, you know, the little, like, soaps and shampoos and stuff you get in hotels. Yeah. And you don't use them. Well, we asked people to collect them and give them to us. Mm-hmm. And then we put them in a bunch of knapsacks along with socks and and handy wipes and feminine hygiene products and all that. And I think we got about almost 200 bags and all of us plus our significant other um, Mm -hmm. for protection went down to LA Skid Row and started handing them out. 
Wow. And the look on people's faces when we'd give them one and they look at it, they would be just like, oh my God, you know, this is great. And one guy came up to me and said, why are you doing this? Hmm. And I said, because I need to, because you guys need the help. You guys need to have somebody care about what's going on. Oh, Persephone, you just gave me chills right now about, I mean, just you were a walking example that leather is more than the aesthetic. It totally is. I mean, I didn't own any leather for I don't know how long, but I considered myself leather. Mm -hmm. The only thing I actually had was that vest. And it's not. It's not about the what you wear. It's how you present yourself and what you do for others. I have to say, I loved interviewing Persephone. Uh, she was such a sweetheart, and it was really amazing to see what a deep passion she has for the community, and it really just shows the true colors of her heart. We're going to come back to Persephone later on in the show. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to another story from episode 23 with Navy Cub, where he talks about his first time in a leather bar and finally feeling at home for one of the first times in his life. And I just, when we were in the middle of that interview, I got chills listening to his story about how he felt and the experiences that he was having just coming into that leather bar for the first time and, and feeling free. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. You know, some of us who kind of stumbled into a leather bar, or discovered leather or discovered kink or any facet of the kink leather community and just found ourselves in that moment. That can be such a powerful and pivoting moment for a lot of us. And I wanted to highlight that in today's episode with Navy Cup. Well, speaking of leather, uh, let, let's dive in a little bit to, to, to leather. Uh, you, sure. you, you said you, you know, you've been involved in, you know, 10 or so years. How did you first stumble upon leather? So I'm always, I guess in my heart, I've always been into BDSM, uh, bondage, discipline, sadomasochist, dominance, submissive. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to, and I, and I tell the story because it's, it's, it's a wonderful story. When I was a kid, I would purposely get in trouble so that my dad would spank me. <gasps> you dirty <laughs> slut. <laughs> Sorry, keep I, going. <laughs> there was something about it that I really liked. I, I, I liked the feel of that leather belt hitting me. And um, there was something about it that I really liked. But what I loved about it, what I really liked about it was at the end, my dad would tell me the reason why he would spank me. So it was kind of a kind of the aftercare that I really sought. Hmm. So the pain I knew came with aftercare. And so that's how I knew that I was into something different. I was like, wow, this isn't normal. Why do I like to get hit to feel some type of gratification, to feel excited, to feel loved? So that's how I knew I was into something that was different, that I was kinky. I just didn't have the words for it then when I was a child. I just knew that I was different. And I think that's the reason why I needed to get out of Texas. Like, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was into BDSM and King. Uh, well, so how old are you? How old were you when you were having these experiences? Oh, they must have started when I was about six or seven. Oh wow. I, I remember being terrified. 
about getting spanked and, and you enjoyed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said I would purposely get in trouble. Wow. And it was more the aftercare that I that I really like because I knew that, ooh, this is gonna be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's bring that forward to today. So the leather. So how did I get into the leather? So in two thousand and five. Let me see five. That sounds about right. 2005, it's been a long time. I was diagnosed uh, positive, uh, uh, HIV positive. I was diagnosed with the military. So they had me, I, I, they had me do all these things and I, I had to go to some to training to figure out what, how to take care of myself. And I went to this group, it's called Bienestar. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, well, anyways, this this is in San Diego. This group, Bienestar, was right next to the, uh, the Eagle San Diego. And I remember one time we were sitting down. We were talking about our feelings. We were crying. We were doing the whole kumbaya thing. Um, and one of the guys who was positive told me, do you want to grab a drink? I said, sure. Where are we going to go? And I thought we were going to go to Richie's or, you know, like the WeHo of San Diego. Right. He said, oh, no, no. It's just around the corner. So we go in, and I already see the lights are red. Uh, you know, this guy is out there in leather. He looks like he's been. He was in the service, and I looked at him. And was like, oh my god, where are, you, where are you taking me? And as soon as we walked in, I remember they had the Saint Andrew's cross, and I was just touching it. And I looked at my friend, and I had this face like. I found my place because everybody was running around in jocks and leather. They looked very military and I've had a thing for military uh, mm-hmm. uniforms. And he goes, you're home, aren't you? I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so awesome. Francisco, I'm getting teary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. This whole time you, you went through a struggle in the military and then you come and you find like these – I guess representations of the military in a gay kind of setting for yourself. And this is where you started to feel at home. At home. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. I still get chills when I listen to that moment. Maybe it's because I was there during the interview. I don't know, but it just brings back memories of when I first came into a leather bar myself and just the feelings and the endorphins and the excitement of the whole environment. It just, is a moment that I'll never forget. And I'm sure a lot of you guys listening right now have some of those moments with Leather and Kink as well. Well, we have one more story in the more serious moments section of today's show, and I wanted to bring us back to Pup Rush, where I asked Pup Rush about his platform and some of his experiences as a title holder. This is what he had to say. So aside from, you know, putting more people on the poster, I mean, what other things were you able to accomplish during your title year? Or or was that really the main thing, you know, to create some visibility? Uh, It wasn't just visibility. It was also uh, international relations. I thought that that was uh, super important and well, international relations and reaching outside of just the LA community, but making sure that all communities had like a meeting point or had, or smaller communities had the help that they needed. I do remember uh, there a very small teeny tiny baby puppy group out in Virginia and I'm originally from there and I was like okay well in my off not doing title holder things time I definitely want to touch base with them and touching base with them became these other groups don't really know 
what resources are available to them or how to do something. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that thing. Let me message them. And just creating a, a bigger network for my title baby. So, you know, speaking of, you know, people in Virginia and, and just other parts of the country that maybe don't have access to a lot of this information or, you know, the experience of having two, three, four leather bars in, you know, their immediate vicinity. Mm-hmm. Like, what would be your message to those future generations of pups or leather people? I would say be as involved as you can be. If you don't know where your community is, keep asking. Because somebody does. Yeah. Or or message you. <laughs> I am going to be old and cantankerous. I'm going to tell you kids <laughs> to get off my lawn while I sip pina coladas served to me by my pool boy. Right. <laughs> no, I'm very – I love meeting new people. Please feel free to message me day or night. I'm a night owl anyway. I need people to talk to. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's kind of like the hardest thing sometimes is just finding people that are like-minded. And sometimes even if you're actively looking, it's hard to find someone. Just listen for the biggest mouth in the room. It's probably mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious, along your leather journey or or pup journey, have you experienced any pushback from any members of the older generations of the pup or leather community? Yes. Uh, during my run for international puppy, uh, I received a message that says N word pups can't win. I've went to an event that will remain nameless. Hopefully they've changed, but probably not. I went to an event and there was a title holder dinner. And of course me being cute little title holder, I decided to slap on my medallion and scurry on over. And I was denied entry because puppy titles aren't real titles. Bullshit. Wow. Bullshit. Um, wow. Just a, a lot of it boils down to racism, to be perfectly honest, and uh, mm-hmm. some of the old guard belief that puppies are anything other than leather, which is weird. But I'm I'm glad to see that attitudes are changing slowly and the people on the wrong side of history are being called out for being wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's only recently, not recently, it's been in, you know, the last month that the whole uprising with George Floyd, you know, came to rise. And I've experienced people saying they didn't even realize that we had a racist problem, like a racism problem in America. And I'm like, well, that's part of the problem. Yeah, (laughs) being in that bubble. Yes, that's I'm but I'm so glad, so glad that people are coming out and having this conversation. Mm hmm. So what would be, you know, your message to the older generations of leather, maybe who are aware or, or not aware of things like this happening, you know, of you going to a dinner or being called the N-word? And- that change is real and it's coming quickly. And it doesn't have to be something scary. You can always uh, come to people like me and I'm more than happy to help walk you through it. But I'm not willing to hold your hand the whole way. Some of the responsibility is on you. Very well put. Very well put. Wow. Very powerful. Thank you so much, Pup Rush, for coming on the show and sharing your story and sharing your vision for the future. I have to say, Pup Rush was one of the most exciting people to interview. And I actually interviewed him twice, once on a Leather Talk special that we had with WeHoville and Fight Magazine. We did a uh, Pride special, a Pride 2020 virtual Pride 2020 special with the Fight Magazine and WeHoville. 
Um, so if you haven't seen that special, you can actually go to my Patreon and it's public. If some posts on my Patreon are public. You don't need to be a subscriber. And you can just hit that, that button. It's on YouTube. Um, you can watch it for free. And you can hear Pup Rush sort of talk about some of our serious topics within the leather community as well. And, and some more funny topics too. But you'll see just the energy that he has is infectious. He's a total gay blast. I love him. Well, speaking of having a gay blast, let's move ahead to our last topic of the season finale. And this is what I like to call kinks gone wrong. (laughs) I accidentally stumbled on this with Don Mike where I kind of asked him about kinks gone wrong. And I think it was off record, to be honest. But ever since then, I've been asking guests on the show to recount some of their funniest moments with kink and leather. And the first story that I'd like to bring up is Don Mike's Jack in the Box story, where he talks about how you can kind of just walk around Hollywood and no one's going to bat an eye at you wearing a diaper. And I just thought it was the cutest, funniest thing. Here, you'll have to listen to uh, get the whole story. (laughs) And and for those of you out in the vanilla world, and I know I, I was there once too, you look at stuff on TV and maybe you giggle like that, oh, there's a guy on this movie and he was wearing panties or, oh, this girl's in a diaper. And you kind of, you know, giggle a little bit. Let me tell you, walk down the street and just look at the people you're walking past. You have no idea what they're wearing behind their clothes. Mm-hmm. So you don't know who's got a cock ring on, or who, you know, what guy's wearing panties or someone's wearing fishnet stockings or, you know, you have no idea. And I'll be, I'll be willing to bet there's a lot more than you think. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And uh, in Los Angeles... If you're walking around in diaper, you're probably still not the weirdest thing walking around out there. <laughs> mm. So I emceed the, this year's Mr. Sister contest, and I had posted a picture. I was at a diaper event, and and Sister Unity, who was my co-host, said, oh, you're wearing that on stage. You're totally wearing it on stage. I was wearing a pink crop top that said Daddy's Boy, my diaper, and a pair of boots, and that was it. And uh, so... Unity says, so I, of course, I wasn't going to say no. So I wore this outfit, and then later I changed into uh, a harness, leather harness, leather vest, leather chaps, but with my diaper still poking out of the chaps. And um, after the contest was over, I didn't feel like changing, so I just wore that the rest of the night. And uh, <laughs> me and this guy that I'm dating went to uh, uh, Jack in the Box. <laughs> And I, I, I remember thinking, I walked into Jack in the Box at like two in the morning thinking, oh, I, I got to be ready for a fight. You know what I mean? Like, I got to, I'm, I'm, you know, if they come at me, I'm going to have to defend myself, but okay. And I walked in and of course it's Hollywood. No one batted yeah. an eye. No one even gave me side eye. And I was actually disappointed. I wanted one person to give me a smart ass comment or someone to give me a dirty look. Nothing. You were still not the weirdest No, person. yeah, I was by far not the weirdest, per- weirdest person in Jack in the Box at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night in Hollywood. So if you're listening from the Midwest somewhere and you want to walk into a Jack in the Box with a diaper on, come move to Hollywood. Come to Hollywood. <laughs> well, that's Don Mike for you. Walking down Hollywood Boulevard at two in the morning with a diaper on. (laughs) Well, we're going to move forward to one of my favorite King's Gone Rug moments. And these are two shorter stories from Queen Anna Elgos. Now, Queen Anna Elgos is Miss Sanctuary Leather 2020. We hit it off really well. And she was actually on the Leather Talk Pride special for Fight in Weehoville as well. So if you want to take a look at that, you can go to my Patreon and find that as a public link as well. 
But in these episodes, Queen Anna Elgos talks about a fear play scene with spiders and a urethral sounding scene. I'm just going to let these stories speak for themselves. So let's have a listen. Now, I am curious. I I asked this the other day to, um, who was it? I think it was Don Mike. Don Mike was, uh, you know Don, he was the co-host. Yeah. Yeah. I said, kink's gone wrong. Like, do you have any fun or embarrassing stories related to kink? Um, oh yeah, I had I have a funny embarrassing. It's not I don't know if it's embarrassing, but it was funny to me later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so this is a rare story of me bottoming. So okay. um, so I was um, I have a slight fear of spiders, and okay. I gave my anchor partner permission to do a spider scene on me. We're just doing like uh, a fear, fear place. Like, this is like a and real spider. Yeah, he had um, oh, what are they called? Black widows in a jar. Oh, um, oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, I don't like spiders, and yeah, don't be in my house because you will not live long. <laughs> um, so I'm tied down to the bed and. He takes the jar and I'm, I'm I'm like face down. He takes the jar, he puts it on my back and the jar is cold. So I'm just like, okay, okay, I can do this. The spider's in a jar. And, and then he starts unscrewing the jar. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And so I somehow wiggled my way out of the rope and fell off the bed. But I'm like still tied too. And, he, and then I look over and he was just like, this is a different jar. <laughs> And I was just like, well, can you help me up? <laughs> but it was, oh, and then um, he had a whip near him too. And so he's helping me on the bed. And then the whip, the uh, the cracker touches my leg and I scream because I thought it was a spider. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> so keep keep her away from spiders. That's the whole story. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, I just want to no more spiders. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. I I don't even know. I I would have never even thought to play with spiders. I think that's like the scare. I I probably would have had the same experience as you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, it was so funny. There was uh someone who I talked to. You might hear this on another recording. Um, but he mentioned how he was like fisting somebody and then there was like a earthquake <laughs> oh like, no great like what do you do then like run out <laughs> with your arm up them <laughs> well how how graphic can we get on here because i have another funny story Ooh, get, get full on graphic yeah <laughs> all right so um i had this guy contact me online and we've been talking for months and whatnot and I was like, hey, I'm going to be on the East Coast. He's like, I live on the East Coast. And so we agreed to meet at this party and he wanted to try sounding. And Ooh. so sounding is where you put a metal. You're here up to a guy's pee hole and you can hear the ocean. <laughs> That's a different kind of sounding. <laughs> <laughs> but the kind I do <laughs> is where you put metal rods through the urethra of a penis. And he wanted to try it because I have so many different types. And so we go to this party. It's one of those, we're swingers, but we're BDSM friendly. And so we're just like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Uh, because usually it's mostly the 
I feel like when I go to swinger events, it's mostly just people trying to have sex and I'm bringing out floggers and whips and they were like, what is that? (laughs) And so we go and they had like this little room that has like a little raised stage and a cross on it and a spanking bench. I'm like, okay, I found my room. (laughs) (laughs) And so I get him naked. I put a hood on him and a blindfold and he's, I have him laid on the stage and people are gathering around us. They're like, what in the crap is she doing? Because I'm on the East Coast in this town that doesn't really have a lot of kink or leather. This is like the only party for like 200 miles. Right. And so I start sounding him and using all types of things. And the crowd was just like filling the room up. And so one lady faints. (gasps) um, (laughs) Then another lady throws up. (laughs) Oh, my God. Cause they are just like, what the crap is going on? And I'm on stage with like rods in the dude's like penis. I'm just like, I can't really move right now. Right. <laughs> you can't just like pull it out. All, like <laughs> Right. And I'm just trying to like, not like take him out of his subspace. Cause that's not cool. And so the host comes in and tries to get everybody out of the room. And I'm trying to keep my guy calm. Like nothing's going on. You're totally fine. <laughs> And so we finished the scene and he was just like, hey, I thought I had heard a moment of like commotion. I was like, yeah, someone fainted and threw up. And he was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I lo- That would be my dream to get. I, I live for the for reaction and that that would have just been the best thing, actually. <laughs> that's my favorite. I was just like, yes, I made a lady faint and another lady throw up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a scene from a movie, really. <laughs> It was perfect. I wish that whole thing was recorded. (laughs) I have to say the urethral sounding scene is one of my favorite stories on Leather Talk. I could not stop laughing. And we just laughed about it later on after the show, too. Um, For those of you who are actually interested in hearing about urethral sounding, how to do it, how it works, how to do it safely. Again, I am not a doctor. I am not a medical professional, but Navy Cub and I actually have a special coming out this December talking about urethral sounding. So if you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to Patreon. Again, you can find me at patreon.com and search for Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. If you subscribe for $3 or more, you have access to all of the bonus episodes this December. So I hope to see you there. Moving on to our next Kinks Gone Wrong, let's go all the way back to episode 29 with Wilcox Onyx, where he talks about a hookup in the park gone wrong. It's definitely dangerous. Do not try this at home or do not try this in a park. (laughs) Be careful, you guys. But everything turned out okay, and it is one of the more entertaining moments on Leather Talk Podcast. Let's have a listen. Yeah. No, there was a point uh, that I was back on the East Coast, and I was in Baltimore. Uh, And so, you know, I had my little spots where I knew that there was always going to be actions, especially after the bars closed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, I remember... I I remember and think of how that the exhibitionism also becomes uh, a doorway to participate as, as well. Uh, but you, you don't go into it feeling like motivated, like you have to do something. It's, it's nice to know that if at the end of it and it's all finished, that if I only just watch, I'm totally cool with it. Um, right. But I'm in this park, and so these two guys are fucking in the park and stuff, and it's dark, and I'm sure they're like like wild animals, like squirrels and rats. <laughs> Those are wild animals for me, <laughs> running around. 
And, uh, you know, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is so hot. And so the guy who's getting fucked, he's like, he's like waving me over. And I'm just like, no, I just want to watch. I want to watch. And then finally, I was like, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll participate. And so he wanted to suck me off while he's getting fucked. And so I stepped closer and I pulled my dick out and he's just like, sucking. And the guy's just like, he's getting more excited, like by seeing my dick out and getting sucked that he's even like, he's like, I'm at an interview for being a top and I'm going to fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was just like, I need to put my end game up because this is happening. It's popping here in the woods. <laughs> and so it was great. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the exity. And then a the fourth guy shows up. So he comes over. Oh my God, where is this park? <laughs> well, I'll save the city. It was in Baltimore. So oh, damn there are a lot of parts. <laughs> yeah, Baltimore be popping. Uh, and so uh, the fourth guy shows up, uh, and I'm thinking he's like me. He he just wants to be a warrior and watch. And he did uh, for like a, a good five minutes, like standing watching us. And then all of a sudden, at the top of his voice, he goes, you guys know what time it is. And I'm like looking at him and the other two guys, I was like, what are you talking? He goes, you know what time it is. And he starts shaking around his hand. And then so the guy that was the top fucking, he just bolts. He starts running. So it's just the bottom and myself like standing there like, what is he talking about? He's like, you know what time it is. And he, apparently he had a gun in his pocket, but I never saw the gun. But he's like holding it like he's wearing a hoodie. Uh, which was like a zipper hoodie. And so there's a pocket on the side and he, you can see either it's his finger or the barrel of a gun. I didn't want to find out, but I was like, I, I've been to the park long enough to know that I'm not going to have like hundreds of dollars on me. So, you know, I had a couple of bucks on me and I just gave them to him and walked away. But when I got home, I had the best orgasm. I was just like, wait a second, I... hold on. You got mugged while you were fucking a dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, Brandon, this has not happened to you? <laughs> I don't think this is an everyday experience. I've never heard of this. Wait a you, second. You should start a podcast oh, so I can tell these stories. <laughs> I am like dying here. Wait. So I wonder if that was that guy's fetish. Like maybe this was a role play thing and they had it all played out the whole time and you were just the guest that showed well, up that night. And I will admit that I do have a, a, a thing for the bad boy kind of thing because I think I can save them. I can protect them and be like, you know, you don't have to do this. And so I, it does get uh, sexualized for me a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think he was, he clearly if he knew the spot, because I think it's very well known among gay, among gay men that this is the spot you go if you want to fuck and play around and stuff. So the fact that he felt comfortable enough to even be back there, like I think most straight identified guys would be like, I'm not going to be in the middle of the woods watching gay guys fucking order or stuff like that. Right. Uh, but clearly he knew the lay of the land, uh, even probably even more so than I did, um, because he just, the way he navigated. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah, the gun thing, like I wouldn't say I was mugged. I would say I would. I didn't feel mugged. I felt like it's like oh, it added to sense. Like it, it was the same. It was the same sensation you get when you're fucking or you're messing around and you get caught, which uh -huh. I've had happen uh -huh. a couple of times. Uh, that your adrenaline just spikes and it's just like this is something I'm totally not anticipating. So my dick was even more hard. And so in fact, I don't even think I waited to get home. I'm pretty sure I jerked off in the car after all that happened. I got back to the car, locked the doors. I was like. It was a close together that just jerked off one. Um, <laughs> I was excited to go fuck in the park, but now I don't know. <laughs> well, I think well, I think there's risk in everything that we do and stuff, and so uh, I don't do it as much now. But I, you know, I wouldn't. I think once this COVID thing is over, uh, you know, I think anything's on the table, especially the first couple of months once <laughs> we get past all of this. But yeah, I, I loved it. It was great. Uh, you know, was I happy that? 
I had to give out money out of my pocket with somebody who had possibly an, ima- an imaginary gun in his pocket. Maybe could have gone worse. Maybe, but in the end, it felt like a good thing. I love it. It's in my, it's in my head as a memory, and I got a good nut off of it. So there you have wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys, it was such a blast listening to all of these kinks gone wrong and some of the best moments of 2020 here on Leather Talk. We're going to finish out this season listening to a few more stories from Persephone Di Stefano, Miss Los Angeles Leather 2019. Persephone was a blast and I didn't even ask her King's Gone Wrong. She just went straight into a whole slew of King's Gone Wrong stories that I thought were amazing. So we're going to end the show with that. If you haven't listened to Persephone's story, go back and take a listen to episode 37. Um, Needles is another one of my favorite. Um, A funny kind of story is... I, it was my birthday, mm-hmm. and one of my friends decided, you know, that they wanted to do something for me. And so what we did was I was laying down, and she put needles down into my boobs. Oh, my gosh. And at the end of the needle, there's a little hub, and she put birthday candles in the little hubs. And then she lit them all on fire. <laughs> Did you blow them out? So, well, the funny thing is, is that she's lighting them and they start melting. All of a sudden, we're doing wax play oh. <laughs> because they were coming down onto my skin. And since it's not a very long drop, they were pretty hot, but they didn't blister anything. But it was just like zing, zing, zing. And I'm like, trying to blow them out and I'm laughing and everybody else is laughing and my boobs are jiggling. So the candles are going everywhere. So it's the whack. I mean, it was hilarious <laughs> trying, trying to blow these candles out. I'm laying down, you know, and laughing. And it was, it was really fun. Okay, you have to invite me to your next birthday party. <laughs> blast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. How fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And then another needle story I have for you. (laughs) (laughs) John and I went to an event. And later that night, we were in our hotel room. And we decided to try to do needles. And we had gone to classes about it and the whole bit. So it wasn't just like... He took a needle and went, oh, let's try this, you know. Mm-hmm. So he gets me all cleaned up and all, you know, everything going good. And he sticks in the first needle. And again, it was in my my boob, you know, the upper part. And he goes to stick in the second one. And it was a little harder to get through, you know. It felt some resistance, but it went through. So I'm sitting there on this chair and I've got one of the hotel white bathroom towels Mm -hmm. around me, you know, and so I'm flying high and he decided, okay, let's take him out now. So he takes out the first one. No problem. Well, I've got my eyes closed and I'm just sort of like floating along and he goes to take out the second one and he takes it out and all of a sudden he goes, oh shit. (gasps) Talk about coming down. (laughs) What happened? 
<laughs> and when he pulled out the needle, it splurted blood when the needle came out. Because obviously when he went in, it probably the hesitation we felt was going through a vein, which is no big deal. You know, I'm not going to die or anything. But the first thing he thought was, oh, shit, there's blood. It's going to get over the white hotel towels. And then they'll come and they'll clean the room and think, what the hell? <laughs> it's going oh my on. God. Blood. You can see my face right now, Persephone. I am sh- <laughs> like... Oh, but I look down, there's all this blood running down my boob. And <laughs> but yeah, the last thing you want to hear is, oh, shit. Right, when someone pulls the needle <laughs> When you're doing something. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Another time I heard, oh, shit, was from Mistress Phoenix. We were at Desire. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, she... Um, did vaginal fisting with me because this might be TMI, but I'm pretty small. So okay. oh, there's nothing TMI on this podcast. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I'm pretty small. So it's really hard to get a fist in. Mm-hmm. Nobody's been able to do it. Well, Mr. Phoenix is like, oh, I'll do it. I'm like, okay. So we're doing it. And I mean, it's going along really good. I am like, woo, and the whole bit. And all of a sudden she goes, oh, shit, that's not good. I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> what is this? What you guys saying you here when someone's fisting you? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? It, it turned out that I ripped a little bit. Oh, okay. okay. You know, the perineum, you know, underneath the vaginal canal. It ripped a little bit, just like when you're having a baby or whatever. But, you know, so there was some blood when she brought her hand out. She saw the blood and was like, oh, shit, that's not good. (laughs) What? (laughs) What do you mean? What's not good? What's going on? Help. (laughs) And then when I went to the bathroom later that, you know, about an hour later, I had my very own little scene with the urine burning the the cut. It's just like, whoa, this hurts. (laughs) But yeah, <laughs> those How are a couple funny. of It's so funny because I think people look at, you know, like myself and, and you and they would walk into the room and think, oh, how sweet Brandon and Persephone. They're just sweet, innocent people. And then yeah. hearing your stories of getting pierced and fisted. And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, I was going to ask you kinks gone wrong, but I think we have enough kinks gone wrong. <laughs> That's about it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, that brings our season of Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020 to a close. Now, we didn't get to hear from every guest today, but I do encourage you, if you haven't already, to go back and take a listen to some of the other 38 plus episodes where each person shares their own personal and unique story. Thank you again so much for all of your support, and I can't wait to see all of you again next year. For those of you who are active listeners and don't know, every Tuesday we have a Zoom episode release party. You can follow me on Twitter at BrandonBulletLA and Instagram as LeatherTalkMrBullet. And that is where I post the weekly updates with a Zoom link and passcode to join our weekly Zoom parties. 
All attendees must be 18 years and older, and you must have your camera on or at least identify yourself before you turn your camera off if you want to be a part of the Leather Talk. Otherwise, I will boot you out of the room because I want to know who is in my Leather Talk Zoom parties, but follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you want updates to that. Remember, Mr. Bullet Leather 2020 is taking a break from posting to iTunes and Spotify for the month of December. But if you want to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you can follow me on Patreon at Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. And if you subscribe for $3 or more, you will have access to all of the bonus episodes I will be releasing over the winter break. As always, I will have links in the description below. I can't wait to see all of you in 2021. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy and stay kinky. Okay. Okay.